Hello, I'm Michael Lapointe, editor-in-chief of Paperless, and this is The Afterword. Today I'm talking to Sean Revive, author of The Mockbuster, which tells the larger-than-life true story of Edward L. Montoro, a one-time money counterfeiter who decides after a near-fatal plane crash to reinvent himself as a filmmaker. It's the 1970s, and movies like Jaws and Star Wars are ushering in the age of the blockbuster. But instead of producing films with original ideas, Ed sees a whole new genre opening up, and he becomes the pioneer of the mockbuster. Movies that bear striking similarities to the most popular titles of the day, but with just enough variation to avoid copyright infringement. At least, at first. As Ed's company, Film Ventures International, begins to score hits with their knockoff productions, he brings the full wrath of Hollywood down upon himself. And as the walls close in during the mid-80s, Ed suddenly disappears, vanishing with a million dollars of company money never to be heard from again. His disappearance is still one of the great unsolved mysteries of the B-movie genre. Sean Revive is a freelance journalist based in Atlanta. He's written features for Wired, Smithsonian, The Ringer, and The Washington Post, and podcasts for iHeartMedia and Wondery. He joins me from his home in Atlanta. Hi, Sean. Nice to see you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, Michael. Good, good. Uh, well, thanks for this wonderful story. It's really uh, really an amazing, amazing piece of, of history. I'm kind of curious about your own experience with Edward Montoro Productions. Do you remember the first one that you saw? Yeah, the first and maybe the only one that I saw, like and really remember very well as a child. Um, I grew up in the 80s, and I on cable, every once in a while, there'd be a movie called They Call Me Bruce, which is a little bit different than some of the other um, Edmontora productions. It's not like a, a horror movie or a sexploitation movie. Um, it's sort of a, a gangster comedy. Um, and it started an actor named Johnny Yoon, uh, and all these gangsters start calling him Bruce because they think he looks like Bruce Lee. And it was just sort of a kind of a typical like 80s comedy when uh, I watched it a lot growing up and I knew it very, very well and even had a sequel. Your story is this uh, kind of like a David and Goliath narrative between this small studio and the, and the big Hollywood guns. And it's also a weird fantasy of artistic glory centered on this one man's ambitions. What for you is at the, at the heart of Ed's story? Well, I think, yeah, for me, I think the, uh, the heart of Ed's story is Ed himself. He does have this sort of great, um, almost rags to riches story. He left home at a really young age. He was just a teenager. He had a very unsuccessful uh, first few jobs. He ended up in jail for counterfeiting money um, in his early 20s. He uh, had a really terrible plane crash, I think a few years later. And he just decided after all these tragedies that he was just going to sort of stop scraping and clawing and just do what he loved. And he started making movies on his own. It was a really cool story. Yeah. Do you do you know like what the eureka moment was for him in terms of um, like when he decided that the mockbuster would be his his path forward? Well, according to like what he told reporters uh, back in the seventies, eighties, it was it was the plane crash. He was sort of trying to get hours in to become a pilot. I think he was already two thousand hours in or so, and he had this terrible plane crash. He crashed into a tree. I'm not really sure how or why. And he was in the hospital. He had, his face was disfigured. His body was probably injured as well. And he spent uh, weeks, if not months there. And during that time, he had a lot of time to think. And I think he just realized he wanted to do something 
really spectacular with his life. And he might as well give it a shot because it could end any time. There's an irony that I observe in your story wherein, you know, Hollywood can sometimes feel like a bit of a copycat town. In a way, so many movies are mockbusters already when one original film becomes popular. Elements of what made it successful find their way into other movies and they sort of cluster together. This is a bit of a difficult question perhaps, but where do you feel inspiration or influence ends and the actual counterfeit mockbuster begins? Well, I think Ed's story actually answers that question pretty well. He put out a lot of movies and a lot of them were very, very heavily based on hit songs or movies or TV shows at the time. Um, he did an Exorcist clone. He did a Shogun clone. He even like took a very popular song and named the movie after that song. Um, and for the most part, you know, he got away with it. They were often hits. People loved them. People watched them. They made it, you know, eventually into um, video stores. But then there was one movie what was much, much closer than it probably should have been to a real movie, to Jaws. He made a movie called Great White, or he produced the movie called Great White and released it. And uh, the courts found that it was almost too close to Jaws. There was too many similar points, storylines, settings, characters that just matched beat for beat other characters in Jaws. And they found that it was just too close to copy and it was illegal. Um, and I think his story like uh, almost like shows how close you can get, uh, but sometimes go over the line. Then I guess the, the the kind of great mystery that animates the story is the disappearance of Ed, the the eventual decision that he takes to abscond with a million bucks of company money and, and disappear. You hold in suspense in the story any firm conclusions about why Ed might have done this. Um, but if if you had to guess... What do you think caused him to take the money and run? So my my gut has been for a little while that he probably owed money to people. I don't have any proof of that, just sort of rumors. But I think it was either that or maybe just he had another eureka moment. Maybe he decided now that he became successful, he didn't want to do it anymore. Or it could have been something as simply as he wanted to get away from a bad family life. It's just a little bit vague to me. I don't really know the answer. But I would say my number one guess, if I had to bet on it, would be that he owed money and wanted to get away from those payments. The legacy of uh, Film Ventures International, his company is sort of ambiguous, but do you see traces of, of Ed's work or his legacy in the film industry of today? Definitely. Um, I don't know how much of it originated with him, but I feel like the the mockbuster era when a lot of people were making these cheap films has definitely become a big part of Hollywood now is to to make inexpensive monster movies, especially on the heels of big, successful monster movies. It was really, really big in the 90s and 2000s, and I think it's still there today. They've just become a little bit more mainstream, maybe slightly bigger budget, but people love them and watch them. Do you think that in a way Ed would be more successful today than he was in the 70s or 80s? I don't know. I feel like, yeah, probably. He would have more resources for less money to make these movies, and he, but he would also have more competition because so I think he was pretty savvy at the time. He was definitely one of the forerunners for these kind of films. And I think people figured it out over the following decades that what he did can be very profitable. Assuming that Ed is still alive and well somewhere and you could ask him any question, what would it be? Um, the same question you asked me is, which is why, why did you leave? You reached this pinnacle of success, a pretty, pretty decent pinnacle of success as a Hollywood producer. You were fairly well known. Um, people enjoyed your movies. Was that enough for you? Uh, or did you leave for some other reason? I want to know why. I feel like your story is going to 
inspire a few people to begin to explore the world of the mockbuster. And perhaps as a parting gift to our listeners, if they're wondering where to start, uh, do you have a recommendation for them? Um, I really like Grizzly. It's probably the most well-known of his movies. It was sort of a Jaws with a bear, um, a killer bear in the woods. And it just got a lot of great death scenes, a lot of great dialogue, great setting here in Georgia where I live. Um, it's a really fun one. I definitely recommend Grizzly. Cool. Well, thanks again, Sean. This is an amazing story and I really appreciate you chatting about it. Thanks a lot, Michael. Really appreciate it. 